Welcome to Voice Fiction. Meet authors of e-books, audiobooks, and audio drama. Be enlightened by post-production specialists, directors, voice actors, and learn more about the wonderful world of online audio. And now your host, John Tatterzak. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Voice Fiction. And today we are going to be talking about copyright laws. And we have at the round table, Bobby Owens, Glenn Higby, Colin Thornton, and of course, myself, Captain John Tatterzak. Our guest is Robert Skaglimpegula. Rob, I know I'm going to do a bad job on this, especially I'm an old farm boy and English is my second language. How would you say your last name, please? Rob Siglimpeglia. Siglimpeglia. Rob was chosen as one of the top trial lawyers for Connecticut by the National Trial Lawyers Association. That's quite an honor. And is a so-called super lawyer. Wow. In addition to his legal practice, Robert is also an actor performing on stage in television commercials and at least two Oscar-winning movies. We'd like to thank you for being here. Well, it's my pleasure. All right. I have uh, the honors of the first question we're going to throw out. Pretty much what this is is a round table. We have different people here tonight, and we're going to be asking you questions and hopefully um, try to educate the, the mass, including me. One of my questions is, would we be in violation of a copyright law infringement, such as when Misfits Audio does a their own transcribe of the Lone Ranger and uses their own actors to do the voices and then put it on the internet? If the Lone Ranger is not in public domain, then yes, that would be a copyright violation. So you would just you would need to get permission from the author or the copyright holder. What if the audio is already out there in multi old time radio spots? The Misfits transcribes the wording and then use their own actors. So well, that it could be in public domain, which is why people why it's on multiple broadcasts. Mm-hmm. The reason why it may why it might be in multiple um, locations is or be have multiple performances is because it may be in public domain because a lot of the older time weren't copyrighted properly, so they're actually in public domain. Night of the Living Dead is a very famous example of that. It wasn't properly copyrighted, so that's why you see lots of you know copies of Night of the Living Dead being sold by multiple places because it wasn't copyrighted uh, Are you properly. talking movies or music, sir? Movies. Night okay. of the Living Dead, the movie. The original movie by George Romero. Got it. Was, it, was, it was never copyrighted properly. It actually in, it's in the public domain now. So anybody can take it and copy it and distribute it. So now, am I wrong in suggesting that from what I've heard is that the um, relatives of the Lone Ranger said, hey, we have had it removed from the public domain and it is now uh, copyrighted. Correct. They would receive a notice to remove it from their uh, audio? If it's still copyrightable, meaning if it's still within the, the time period for, um, for it to be allowed to be copyright, which used to be life of the author plus 75 years they've changed that a little bit for corporations uh, but that's the general rule life plus 75 years it, it's still within that period even if it was in public domain at some point it could be recopyrighted for the remaining term so if the family decided to like you say take it out of public domain by copywriting it again then but how is how is a person supposed to know then let's say misfits audio went and they found it on uh, public domain they took 6 months to produce it and in the meantime it got removed 
but they're not aware of it, and they went ahead and posted it. You can check on copyrights by just going to the U.S. Copyright Office website, and you can check to see if something has a valid copyright or not. So that's, I mean, that's what you should do. Is there a charge for that? No, not to not to search. There's a charge to um, to file the copyright, but there's not a charge for the the public to search for it. You can you know pretty much go to the site and check for any song right now and see if it's copyrighted or movie or TV show and see who owns it. That's how you you know it, it's uh, one of those things where law not presumed to be ignorant of the law. Everyone's presumed to know the law. In that case, I would say that it wouldn't be a willful infringement, so you wouldn't be penalized for willful taking and stealing of the material. But you know, you'd still be subject. Take it down if the copyright owner wanted you to take it down from being broadcast, or you know, any of the other remedies beside willful infringement under the uh, the law, the copyright law. Willful being the key word there. Right? Will Colin speaking? Right. Willful means it can be penalized because for each act of willfulness, depending on its extent, the court can award between like $200 and $55,000 damages per infringement if they find it's willful. So Okay, can I So 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 I mean I'm talking willful. It's calling here Robert. If I happen to write a series of a uh, a western lawman with his faithful sidekick and I happen to use Rossini's William Tell overture. If I use that behind that series, would I be liable? Well, William Tell overture is in public domain. So as long as you had someone perform the William Tell Overture yourself, you'd be fine. But if you're using someone's recording of it, then that recording is probably copyrighted. So you'd have to check to make sure, like if it was, say, it was the Boston Pops, and they performed that, you know, in a concert, and then yeah. they made a CD and they sold that CD. That CD is copyrighted. So you wouldn't be music- able to use that version of that on your broadcast without their permission. So but what version I, could we use? What what you version? You can use your. You can make your own. You get the version I just hummed. But what exactly? But what, when you say it's in public domain, so only the sheet music is in public domain? Right. The music's in public domain. Correct. The, the actual, perform- okay. The but not a recording. There's no recording that you know of that is in public domain? Well, there, um, there's recordings that are all the time that are put in public domain. Like, you know, someone may have just performed on their piano or something and then put it on the internet for public domain, for public use. So, of course, that would be fine. But you have to check, obviously, to make sure that the recording, the performance, is not copyrighted. Is and all of this is subject to, like, let's say I had a song, because uh, I write too, and I didn't care that Colin used my song, so I don't say anything. So it's it's yep. always it's always up to the copyright holder or the person that owns the mechanicals and copyright. Correct. Correct. Right. Okay. Yep. It's it's up to unless you're unless unless Colin is stealing your work. Like if Colin is if say he takes that song, well, I'll kill him. Bootlegs it and he's selling it overseas <laughs> and making money on it. Yes. Then that will be criminal. That's of criminal. That's a criminal violation of the copyright law. Of course. That you know that could be punished by the FBI coming in and arresting Colin and bringing criminal charges against him. But not you know for you to get damages that would be that, that's a civil action under the copyright law. And gotcha. if you don't care then it's not going to matter. Gotcha. Gotcha. Can you talk about public domain? What exactly is public domain? Public domain just means that the copyright expired. It either expired or it wasn't copyrighted. Whoever created the work didn't want to copyright it. They wanted it to be open. So it's, it's basically works that can be used that you don't have to pay royalties for under the Copyright Act. That's basically what a public domain is. So it it can be used by anybody in the public. Got you. the, The main use is the main public domain is when it's the copyright expired. That's the most common use of that term public domain what are some good examples like right now that like people that would like to use can you just give us some examples of stuff that's in public domain that way well, any any classical music piece would be 
public domain. So, you know, the William Tell Overture, like you just guys just said, Mozart or Beethoven. And that's why a lot of times you'll hear a lot of popular music that use a lot of the, the same verses and, and notes and, you know, a lot of the same rhythms from those songs because they're in public domain. So they don't have to pay. Uh, you can sample from those songs as long as you're, you're, you know, as long as you're doing it yourself, as long as you're creating the music yourself, you can, it, it's open source. So those are the most common examples of uh, public domain of classical songs. There's things that go in public domain, you know, all the time. The li life plus 75 years of the author, that's the general rule. So when the author dies 75 years after, it would go into public domain. That is really cool to know. I had no idea that it was life plus 75 years. It was modified a little bit a few years back because corporations now have longer periods of time for um, like because Disney, a lot of Disney's work was going to go into public domain. So they um, lobbied Congress to extend it. So for corporations, it's longer. I'm not sure the exact years. I know it's life plus 75 for an individual. That's one of the reasons why corporations copyright things so that they get the uh, value of the longer period of time. Excellent. Hey, this is Glenn. I have some, some really crazy questions to ask you, but I think I need to ask you this one real quick since you were just talking about sampling. Sampling in music is ubiquitous. Is copying a line from another works writer any different? It's pretty much the same rule. If you, if you you can identify there's no black and white rule on what copyright infringement is it could be it could be a word if it's a recognizable word you know it would be a trademark infringement if it could be a line if it's a really famous line then that could be a copyright infringement it could be a paragraph you know, there, there's no hard and fast rule on what you're allowed to lift from copyrighted material. But obviously, the smaller amount that you're using, the less chance that it's going to be an infringement. So if you go to the um, copyright website, they have a whole article that they published about what is infringement and, you know, what can you can do and can't do and, and that's one of the things they say that there's it's a gray area and that there's no magic formula as to if it's a word a sentence or a paragraph could all be potentially infringement hey, folks we need to take a break here and we'll be right back after this commercial hello i'm scott fortney and i play bar owner kent stone in the new audio sci-fi comedy series the corner bar on alpha prime now, you'd think that running the only bar on a dump of an alien world would be easy, wouldn't you? <laughs> With the weird clients and help I have, sometimes I feel lucky to make it through the day. Join me for The Corner Bar on Alpha Prime from Misfits Audio. Online at MisfitsAudio.com. And we are now back. Colin? Yes, I have a question for you, Robert. Um, picking up on your previous point, if if I use the word, oh, I don't, nevermore in uh, a poem, that would make me liable for copyright infringement? I mean, a ground no, poet's long dead. Probably not. Probably not. It, nevermore is, it's a uh, common, it's too common of a word, so probably not. Yeah, okay. I was trying to think of something, like you said, a, a word or a phrase that was so immediately recognizable. Making an offer you couldn't refuse. Yes, Make an offer you couldn't refuse, that, that could potentially be a copyright violation. And that's probably trademarked, too. So that potentially would be a trademark violation. Really? Because people, like, all the time, I might, you know, you might be uh, on a, some talk show, and you'll say, somebody will say something to someone, whatever, and they'll say, oh, come on, I'm making an offer you can't refuse. Really? Would they be, like, now subject to some sort of suit because they were saying it off the cuff in the middle of an interview on a Jay Leno show? No, because that's not, you're not using that for, you're only using, it, you, you can say it in normal speech because obviously the, you know, the uh, the First Amendment still protects your speech. But if you're using it for a commercial purpose, so if you're putting it in your own book ah. and you're selling that book. Or if you're making money from it. Right. You're making money from it. Or you put it into, you know, you use that line in a movie without getting clearance from The Godfather. 
you know, that would that would be a violation for sure. You know, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, the authors of Godfather and, and the, you know, Columbia Pictures, I guess, did it. Whoever did it, they would they would be all over that. Um, I'm sure they trademarked that, too. That's where it's that's where you run into the violation, not not where you're just using it on the street or, you know, using it in an interview on TV. You know, that that's fine. That's protected speech. So wow. it's, it's, it's for a commercial purpose. OK, that would be considered a fair use of that statement. So fair use versus that's fair use versus something that someone makes money off of is basically right. what you're saying. Okay. Right. Even though they're getting paid to be on whatever show, they're not making money off of saying that phrase because they're just using it as in terms of speech. Yeah, I mean they're yeah, they're not making the money because of that what that phrase. So they're they're on they're making money for their interview, for their appearance. It's not because they Let's say I want to license that phrase or license a property. Like yep. who do I talk to? How do I license some sort of property? You would have to talk to the owner of whoever is the copyright owner and ask them permission and it depends on what you want to use it for. There's different licenses. So for instance, a mechanical license, you can you can take a, a recording and put it into to a sound recording. A sync license, you can take that uh, copyrighted material and put it on uh, in sync with a picture. So for a movie, so like a song, if you wanted to license the song to put into a film, that's a sync license. Okay. And then there's a license to reproduce. So in order to, to you know, like make CDs and sell the CDs, you would need a license to reproduce the work. So okay. you would need to talk to the owner, first of all, they can give you all the permissions. For music, the Harry Fox Agency is the most common place to go to get um, licenses to broadcast music. So like put it up on the internet or put it over the radio or you know use it in some commercial manner, the Harry Fox Agency. But it's only you're only taking the mechanical license or the sync license that you're going to get from Harry Fox. You're not going to get, and then you pay the statutory royalty. Could that, that be pretty expensive? No, it's pretty cheap actually. It's around I think it's like around uh, two cents a play or something like that. And I think you have to get like 500, you have to buy like 500 or a thousand minimum plays from the Harry Fox. So it's not that, it's not that expensive. You want, you might want to explain mechanical and, and such because most people won't know what that is. Mechanical license is so that you could take a song and put it into, well, you take written material, sorry, and put it into like a song without a picture. Okay. Sync license, you would take a song and put it to a picture. So like you would take a song and put it you put it over a, a TV show or a movie. You would need to get a sync license to use the song to go into that film. So that's different than mechanical because you're putting it into a certain place is what you're saying? Mechanical is only covers this it, it does no picture involved. So anything oh. any license you're getting with no picture if it's just sound. Okay. You like like over to use it over the radio or to use like it a radio over, ad or something. Exactly, exactly. Sync license would be if it's a TV ad, say, and you want to use a song and a TV ad with a picture, then you would need to get a sync license. Ah. It's, it's still a license. I mean, it's just, it's permission to use the, the video. It's just, they're just different legal types of licenses. Of course. So they can make money. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, you get, need to get permission. Yeah, I mean, because the copyright—that's how the Copyright Act works. Sure. So every time that those songs is, they have a song is, or, or materials displayed, there's a certain royalty that gets paid to the author. So, and it's set by statute, and it's around, it's around twenty cents per play, something like that. It's not a, a huge amount. Yeah, but so. if there's a minimum, like you're talking about, let's say a thousand, you have to buy a thousand of it. Say if I was going to use it just one time, but I was going to put it into a show, what would I do with the other nine hundred ninety-nine times? I'm not going to need. <laughs> Well, I'm talking about broadcasting it. So, like, say you want to put that, say you uh, create a show and you put it up on the internet and you want people are going to go to the internet and watch it or they're going to go up on YouTube and watch it. Okay. Right? You would purchase a thousand plays from Harry Fox. So you'd buy as many as you think you're going to need. And you could keep 
obviously buying them as you go. But if you think you're going to get 100,000 hits on your show on YouTube and you're using a licensed, you're using a song that's copyrighted, you're going to have to get, that's where you buy the license. Whoever owns the song gets paid a royalty for each time it's oh, played on your site. per hit. Exactly. So that's with podcasts as well, would you say? Yep, that's for podcasts as well. So if, so if we took that, something that's not in the public domain right now, and let's say we got permission, let's say we bought it, we need to, depending on how popular our podcast is, uh, we need to make sure that we have paid for enough hit. Correct. For, and if we don't pay for enough hits, how does who keeps track of that? That's what the Harry Fox Agency does. That's their job because they're the ones that collects the money and pays it to the artist. So let's say we paid for 100 hits. I'm just going to make it small just for now. You understand. And let's say there was 102 hits on this yep. and they decided there was 102. Would they contact you first and say, pay me before they sue yeah. you? No, they're okay. not going to sue you. Harry Fox is going to bill you for 102 hits. Oh, okay. Wow. So you'd want to you'd buy enough up front so you get a discount, obviously. If you know how many you might. Okay. Right. Where's oh, Harry right. Fox located? How would one contact them? You just go online, Harry Fox Agency. Uh, it's probably HarryFoxAgency.com. But if you just Google Harry Fox Agency, you'll find it. I think they're in New York. They are on 57th Street, I believe, because I tried to get a job there. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> How cool we don't is that? Need Who needs Google? We got Bobby Owens. There you there go. You go. <laughs> I got a question, Rob. Uh, this is a question from one of our listeners, Alex. He wants to know, what is the one mistake you see people making the most often across the various entertainment industries? Um, copyright mistake? or what, is It that just what says, you... one mistake you see people making the most often across the various entertainment industries. Well, I would say, in a legal sense, the one mistake I see people make is they don't they don't take the arts as a business. They just they they don't look at the business side of whatever they're doing. So acting, music, voiceover, whatever it is, they they don't think about the business and legal side of it, and they concentrate on the on their craft, which is good. They miss all the business and legal side, so that they're they don't know enough about the business, so that they, it helps it can help their craft and help them advance. Um, and they make a lot of mistakes. They make a lot of legal mistakes, and they get taken advantage of by uh, unscrupulous people in the business because they don't understand the business and they don't understand the legal side and business side of the, whatever business they're getting into. That's the one mistake I see most. I see. Thanks so much. So this is Colin speaking. In uh, You're also an actor and a voice talent, as we've already established. This must help you immensely being uh, as, as thoroughly versed in copyright law and legal laws and reading fine print and all that. Of course. I mean, I, I learned... I knew the basics of copyright law and things before, but you know, as I got into the business, I was able to apply it and, and learn a lot more about it, a lot more of the specifics about it. Actually, apply it in in my business because you know it's things you run across. You're going to be asked to sign non-disclosure agreements, you know, pretty regularly, and confidentiality agreements pretty regularly. So that's what I'm talking about. If you don't know what you're signing, that could get you in trouble. Or you know, signing an agency agreement. All voiceover artists and even musicians, they want agents, but they don't know what's in the contracts and sometimes you know that's why there's entertainment lawyers but they won't go to the lawyer for whatever reason because they don't want to pay a couple hundred bucks to get the contract reviewed but that can really that can really hurt someone's career by signing an agreement with an unscrupulous agent or just an agent that is going to lock in for a few years so those are the things that artists need to learn um, so the the point would be the point would be to go to the lawyer in advance of signing it rather than going to the lawyer after and saying, please bail me out of this mess. Exactly. Just have the lawyer look at the contract before you sign it. And every single valid legitimate agency agreement that I've seen has a paragraph right in there. 
that says you've had an opportunity to have your legal counsel review this and you've accepted the terms. Because, but if you, know, you but if you want that agency, you're going to have no choice but to accept their agreement. Absolutely false. One thousand percent. I've never had an agency agreement that I have not been able to change ever. Oh, oh really? Okay, because I'm surprised because I would think that the agency would say, hey, if you want us to represent you, you've got to go by our rules and regulations. You don't like it? Go find somebody else. Agency agreements are written like any contract. It's written to protect the agent. There's no protection. Well, unless it's a, unless it's a union contract. Let me, let me rephrase. If it's a union contract, when there's no more uh, union franchised agreements anymore. They haven't franchised agreements in years. So unless an agency is still using the old a- union franchised agreements, which are the ones that are fair, in my opinion, fairest to the actors, they're written to protect the agency, not to protect the artists. So there's things in there that if I know where they are, and people that are experienced in the business know where they are, but there's every part, every kind of one of those contracts has something in there that will be taken out pretty much automatically if, if you ask the agency for it because it's kind of overreaching. And it may, I'm being generalized, generalizing, of course, because there are agencies that have already gone through that whole thing negotiating wise, so they just take those things out anyway. It, it goes, of course, contract by contract. But for, for most contracts, most contracts, a lot of them will last for three years from uh, from an artist, from an actor. I take that out immediately. No three years. One. One year. And then I'll, I'll put in, you know, like, the, uh, if it, things aren't working out after six months, you can part ways. Like, if you haven't been sent out an X number of times, whatever. Agencies are fine with that because they, they want you to be booking things for them. They, they you know, they're, they don't want to, unless they're doing something unscrupulous, they don't want to hold you up for three years and not send you out and not do anything for your career. So, there, I mean, there's lots of things in those contracts that, that are up for negotiation. Lots of things. And any legitimate agency will negotiate. They'll negotiate with their terms, you know, up to a certain extent. They're not, they're not going to be, quote unquote, unreasonable. And so if the, if the actor or artist is being, quote unquote, unreasonable, then they're going to say no. But if they're being reasonable, they're not going to say no. They, most of the time, they're, they're fine. Another, another common provision I could tell you that's in agency agreements. There's a provision that says that an agent can spend money on, a, on an artist's behalf to promote them. And that's usually what it says, just like that. Well, I'll put something in there that says if they're going to spend more than $100 at one time on an artist, they have to get the artist's permission first before they spend good. more than 100 bucks in one shot. That's, that's another provision. It, it's very simple. It's very simple. And I've never had any agency say no to that because I don't want my artist to get stuck with a $2,000 bill for some headshots or something that they that they did, you know, on the first commission check. And then they're like, what's the $2,000 for? <laughs> and it happens a lot. It happens all the time. Absolutely. Trust me. So that, that's, those are things that they're very business like things, you know, that, that are in there that you can, you can negotiate. So I, I hate to hear that it happens all the time. All, <laughs> yeah. the, all the time. This is where I get like you, was it you Colin that asked me about signing beforehand instead of after? Yes. Those are one of the things I usually get to see after the fact. Why am I getting charged 2000 bucks here? Well, look, it said there, you, you know, you gave them permission to spend promotion for you and they did this uh, photo shoot or they did this advertisement for you and I didn't know that you know well those are the kind of things that you know you see after the fact which That's you can cool. easily fix up front you know very very easily or I want to get out of my agreement because I haven't been sent out once in six months and I want to get out well you signed a three-year deal so good luck getting out you're, you're stuck yeah. you know you got to put a provision in to get you make sure you can get out within a certain period of time if things aren't working out so the SAG franchise agreements cover these things so if you sign a SAG franchise agreement you're fine but if not these are things that sometimes get overlooked by, uh, <laughs> by agents and their contracts especially the general services agreement general services agreement are very one-sided 
added for agents. They should definitely be looked at by an entertainment attorney before anyone signs. Cool. Rob Glenn here. Uh, let me think. Talking about copyright infringements, I don't know. Do you have any opinion on the recent, the, the gal, I'm not sure where she was from, where she was playing all kinds of music. Maybe it was from the 50s and 60s or whatever, but she was putting them online and then she got uh, she got a big penalty, right? She had to go to court. Do you know anything about that? I didn't hear anything about that, but they sent her a cease and desist and told her to stop doing that and she continued to do it, then I could see why she would be brought into court. But, you know, if they sent her a, c- a cease and desist and she stopped, and that should have been the end of it. But and I didn't she, hear anything about If she didn't, then she's going to pay the price. So this kind of leads me to this question. What is the strangest case you've handled, or what are you doing tomorrow morning? Aha! <laughs> Good question. What, what am I doing tomorrow morning? I'm actually having an audition tomorrow, so... <laughs> <laughs> playing actor tomorrow morning. Sounds like Bobby. Which is, which is always good. I get to, you know, some days I wake up and I'm a lawyer and some days I wake up and I'm an actor, which is, or a voiceover. That's pretty cool. Which is a good thing. Um, strangest case I've ever worked on. I mean, the entertainment stuff is pretty straightforward, so there's nothing that was really strange that I've worked on. The two, I don't know if you guys know about the tune sets, um, free play music saga that's been going on for the last year. I do know what you mean because I, yeah, demo wise, I would know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the strangest that I've seen and I've been working well for years. And basically what it is, it's um these music libraries like Free Play Music. TuneSat has come out with technology so that they can encrypt any song that gets put on the internet. So if you take if you copy a song from a music library that has TuneSat technology, encryption technology in it, and put it up on your website, um, TuneSat can find it. And then what they've been doing is they've been sending bills for like twenty five hundred dollars to um, voiceover artists and other people on YouTube that views these songs from oh. free play music. Ouch. You know, and saying you they owe twenty five hundred bucks because you didn't license this music, which costs like a hundred bucks to license forever, and they're charging twenty five hundred bucks. What if that was just a, like a five second clip? Can you still yep, get in trouble for that? Five seconds, six seconds. There's there's a couple I worked on that are like three seconds, you know, because voiceover artists put right. it on their demos, you know, three seconds or five. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They've been they're doing the same. They're sending out the same boilerplate letter to all every, everybody that are using these songs. And I'm like, I go back to it. I'm like, you guys are not the Beatles. Give me a break. <laughs> Twenty five hundred bucks. <laughs> you know, it's like that's crazy. You know, wow. and some so for some of the people I've been able to settle the cases, other people not. So it's an ongoing saga. And I just think it's crazy that you know they have this website called freeplaymusic.com, and if you download a song that you think is free and you put it on you know uh, your your mother's ninetieth anniversary party video and put it up on YouTube, you get a bill for twenty five hundred bucks. So I think that's <laughs> bizarre. Oh. So that- you're saying free play dot com stay away from a free play music dot com folks did you hear that okay i got it so it's a scam basically would you say well, it's not a scam because it is there is a valid argument under under copyright law because that music's being used without without a license the, the amount is just outrageous but, it, yeah. but it's a cash grab right exactly yeah but wouldn't that be the same as okay you're saying that ignorance is no whatever bliss of the law I, I don't remember what the phrase is but you know that someone's let's just take it this way someone's grandmother or someone that's just like oh it says free play music that's what's in the words of this particular site I... so you would think it's free because you said free I didn't write it you wrote free play music and put the site up 
up, got the domain name, put the music up, did the business behind it. So someone's saying it's free play music. So I take this and put this behind my grandmother's 90th anniversary, 90th birthday party that I put up on so people can see from around the country who are not with us or whatever. And I put it there and you send me a bill for $2,500 or whatever you just said it was. Wouldn't I be able to, if I had the money, they're assuming that people don't have the money to take them to court. But if you did a class action and say, wait a minute, or even not a class action, let's say I had a lot of money and that happened to me and I just said, we're going to court. It says free play. You have to say if it's not free play. You don't ever write anywhere that I can't use it and I'm not making money off of it. I am actually using it just as a memorabilia video. Wouldn't I be, I'd probably win, but I'd have to go through court. You may win. It's possible that you'd win. If you look at the terms of service on their website, you're allowed to use the music for your personal use. So if you took that video and played it at the party, yes, no problem. That's 100% fine under the terms of freeplaymusic.com's terms of service. But as soon as you put it up on the internet, now you're broadcasting it, that's not allowed. It expressly says on their on their site that that's not allowed. But I the question is the amount. It's the amount. 2500 bucks for that? How many people saw that thing? All the things you just said would be a reason why you'd probably win the case because, you know, how many people saw it? How yeah. long was the song? You know, all of the factors that you use to figure out whether it's fair use or not or how much of the clip you can take, like we had all the questions before, those are the same factors a court are going to use to figure out how much damage was done to the to the um I understand. Play music to the author. So I got you. So it, it, it's it's just outrageous. The amount is it's outrageous. outrageous. Yeah, that, so, that's... I, I like the irony in the language there that it's free for free play hundred dollars. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. <laughs> so speaking of, you said you have an audition tomorrow morning. Um, I don't know if anybody everybody knows that not only are you a, a a lawyer, you're also an actor as well as a voiceover artist. In fact, I think we have a clip of uh, one of your commercials, Bushnells. The new tour V3 laser rangefinder featuring pin seeker with jumps. Bushnell's Pin Seeker technology solved the problem of separating background clutter from the flagstick. Jolt takes that evolution one step further. Okay, cool. That's cool. How did uh, tell me how law and acting and voiceover? How does that all combine? What made were you a uh, act actor and a voiceover artist first, or were you a lawyer first? How did this go? I was a lawyer first. Okay. I've been a lawyer for 22 years, and I basically just I, about 10 years ago I took a, a an adult ed class on voiceovers. You know, I really enjoyed it. Took some training in voiceovers. You know, started really studying it cut a couple of demos my first job that i ever got i got hired to do a pbs documentary on the american experience tv okay. series that that I, record, cool. I recorded at broadway sound right there at rockefeller center that was my oh. that was my first gig so i thought every gig was supposed to be that way the course you took <laughs> was that from a college what's that the course you took was that from college it was uh yeah it was an adult that it was at a college yes hmm. um and i went and uh i didn't know what voiceovers were really you know i i Thought it was had to do with radio, wasn't sure. Then I knew, obviously, I realized it was part of acting. And then from there, I just um, started taking acting classes. I'm, I'm really close to New York City, so I, I'm there all the time with Bobby. <laughs> I've seen Bobby in some auditions, actually. Yep. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of great acting teachers in New York City. So I was able to take a few classes with a few different teachers there. You know, I was able to... Uh, break into the acting business as well you know so i pretty i do everything i do theater and uh commercials and tv and film so it's it's uh you know whatever whatever uh, i think i'm right for i'll, I'll audition for 
down in uh, in New York. So you did something with the Super Bowl. Yes, I had a Super Bowl commercial. Oh, tell us about that. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, we have to stop right now because there is so much to learn that we're going to need to do this in a two-parter. So please come back and listen to our second part where we will continue discussing voice fiction and the law. This is your announcer, Joe Stofko, for Voice Fiction. The opinions expressed during roundtable discussions are that of individuals and do not necessarily reflect the position of voice fiction. This episode is copyright 2013, Voice Fiction Productions. For full disclaimer and privacy policy, visit voicefiction.com. Thanks for listening. Until we meet again.